Global consumerism is a $40 trillion a year phenomenon, which makes it the largest, most predictable investment opportunity on the planet. Who are the prime beneficiaries of global consumption trends? Mega brands. Welcome to the Mega Brands podcast series. I'm your host, Eric Clark. In this podcast, we explore mega trends through the lens of a global investor with the ultimate goal of identifying the most relevant, most innovative brands that are best positioned to become what I call mega brands. These are the brands that are customer obsessed, have a corporate culture of innovation and self-disruption, create products and services that are in high demand, that exhibit strong brand love from customers, are serving a global opportunity, and appeal to multiple demographic groups. What's the reward for a company that meets these criteria? More revenue, more cash flow, higher market share, and the potential to reach the trillion dollar club. Please enjoy our next episode of Mega Brands. Eric Clark is the portfolio manager for the Rational Dynamic Brands Fund in conjunction with his partners at AccuVest Global Advisors. All opinions expressed by Eric and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of AccuVest Global Advisors or Rational Funds. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of the Brands Fund or AccuVest may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to podcast number one of Mega Brands, everybody. Our focus is on the most important mega themes we see around the world and the mega brands that are best positioned to benefit from these important themes. If we do our job right, many of these mega brands will eventually join the trillion dollar club, offering investors some wonderful potential returns over time. The search for mega brands is what drives our investment process for the dynamic brand strategy. In order to identify these mega brands, I use a proprietary brand relevancy audit scoring system that helps me understand which brands are resonating with consumers and are likely separating themselves from peers across a variety of metrics. In the first episode of Mega Brands, I have to set the stage though and talk about the why and the how, and then I'll discuss the top 25 mega brands that came from that approach and how those might've added value to the portfolio over the last few years. We'll also take a look at when some of these leading mega brands could reach the trillion dollar club using some basic return assumptions. In the next episode, I'll talk about the brands we just added to our 200 top brands index, which serves as my investment universe for the dynamic brand strategy through 2020. So let me set the stage right now and talk about why we're even addressing trends and brands to begin with. Number one, I'm an investor and I want to beat the market. That's my job. That's my goal. doesn't happen every year, but it's certainly a noble goal. In order to do that, I need an edge. In my opinion, my edge is the knowledge that global household consumption is enormous and it's growing steadily every year. It's hard to generate great returns consistently without addressing a big market opportunity like consumption. Remember, household consumption is 72% of U.S. GDP, which is 14 trillion currently, and 60% of world GDP, which is another 44 trillion in total. Somebody please show me a market bigger than 44 trillion per year with such stability. I'd love to hear about it. And it's certainly something that's big enough that it probably deserves a pretty chunky allocation in somebody's portfolio. Number two, I couldn't find an equity strategy for my own money that dedicated itself to to this global consumption theme 
And so this, in some ways, was a bit of a selfish endeavor. I needed a vehicle that allowed me to invest in the greatest brand serving the global consumption theme, and it didn't exist, so it needed to be created. Now, from, from an investment perspective, there's plenty of options to invest in the consumer, but you can really only do it through consumer discretionary and consumer staples. I'm talking about lifetime spending. Let's call it from pampers to Botox and hip replacements. All along the way, as human beings, we spend money on stuff. And that obviously includes technology and healthcare and things like that. So I call these companies consumption supply chain brands, which are many of the, the leading B2B brands, which are good complements to the traditional consumer discretionary and consumer staples. So what we're doing here is a much more comprehensive look at investing in consumption here and around the world. And again, if it's not available and it's a great idea, it needs to be created. And that's what I did with my partners at AccuVest, Global Advisors. And the first step was to create the Alpha Brands Consumer Spending Index that we did in 2015. Number three, which leads me to the most important question, I guess, why focus on the top brands as your way to get access to the global consumption theme? Whether we realize it or not, brand loyalty is a key driver of consumer behavior. So if you're identifying a solid universe of great companies, aka brands that are resonating with consumers and they're highly relevant, that's the best way to get access to the theme of consumption. And turns out, Wall Street does a terrible job at analyzing brands. It's a, it's a very subjective exercise and most of Wall Street spends time in an Excel spreadsheet, which gives us a bit of an edge over everybody else. My belief, the brand, if fostered and enhanced on a continuous basis and tracked and updated yearly to changing consumer trends, will be the gift that keeps on giving. Ask Apple or Amazon or Starbucks if they agree. Apple's compounded at 33% a year for 15 years. Is there any wonder it's a trillion dollar market cap company right now? Microsoft only compounded at 12% a year over the last 15 years, but it compounded at 28% a year for the last five as the business really started to kick into high gear. Amazon as well compounded at 33% a year for 15 years. So mega brands are just a synonym for compounders. That's what we wanna find through the use of our brand relevancy scoring system. Okay, let's get into the brand relevance audit system that I created. Why was it created and what does it provide? Number one, it provides me with a wide look at how a company is performing across traditional financial metrics, plus many of the intangible metrics that are commonly associated with compounders. You can infer this is a very qualitative approach to assessing a business. Everybody has information on the quantitative, the revenue growth, the free cash flow growth, et cetera. What very few people track are the qualitative stuff. And that's really, again, what our X factor is. Now, surely somebody has, has done a qualitative and quantitative analysis of brands. Well, yes, they have. Brandsy and Interbrands are two of a uh, part of two of the largest advertising and PR firms in the world. These firms have been doing their top 100 global brands reports every year since 2006 for Brand Z and 2000 for Interbrands. Not surprisingly, they've significantly outperformed the S&P 500 as well as the Acqui indexes, but nobody's ever done it for financial services and created an investment strategy, which is why I did what I did with AccuVest. So let's talk about a goal. Who are the innovators? 
who is resonating and building trust and loyalty with customers to create such high brand love that they begin to dominate a category. If you dominate an important large category and you're a public company, you're probably gonna be a pretty good investment in absolute terms and relative to the S&P 500 over time. I think I can prove that with our index as well as looking at the brand Z and the interbrands indexes as well. What does the data provide? Well, it provides so much data on so many parts of the business that in aggregate, it will roll up to show you who's really getting it done and who is disconnected from the consumer uh, and taste. What is an example? RH comes to mind, creating a highly differentiated model with very little competition in, a, in the model that's very difficult and very expensive to replicate. That's not gonna show up in a financial metrics balance sheet income statement for a traditional analyst. So normal screening of financial metrics is gonna miss this opportunity. So when you see a great model with metrics that are underwhelming, but the qualitative part of the analysis is showing you, wow, this mousetrap is unique, it's important, it's differentiated, and it's not being done anywhere else, that's something to consider when uh, comparing it to the quantitative stuff, because eventually, if the company executes on all that power, the numbers will reflect it. But by then, a big chunk of the opportunity will have already passed. So in, in many degrees, if I find a disconnect between the qualitative and the quantitative, that's really where some of the biggest, most powerful investment opportunities are. And that's what the brand relevancy system is about. Bottom line, having this sophisticated tool and going through the process offers us a bit of an X factor to find today and tomorrow's compounders, what we call mega brands. So let's get into the scoring system a little bit. I'm gonna spend more time on the qualitative part as, uh, versus the quant because most people understand the quantitative stuff pretty well. But just to highlight some of the quantitative factors that we look at, the traditional stuff, revenues, earnings growth, uh, R&D spend, SG&A spend for marketing prowess, what the trends of the operating margins are, um, what the return of invested capital is, and uh, whether it's uh, attractive relative to the weighted cost of capital, what their dividend strategy looks like. Is it a dividend aristocrat? Some quality metrics like balance sheet and corporate debt and repayment of that debt, how much cash flow they generate over time whether they're, uh, the stock actually has some superior price momentum too, what, whether it has a history of outperforming the S&P over a variety of timeframes. Let's, let's see who's proving that the model is working by beating the market on a consistent basis. Who's engaged in social media and resonating with consumers? Um, let's talk about social and corporate governance, ESG scores, that's getting more and more important, doing right, by doing well is a really important factor for businesses. It helps them retain and find great employees. And so we leverage some of the other lists that are out there, like the, uh, the most admired companies list and the most valuable brands list with brand Z and interbrands, as well as, you know, who's showing up on the best places to work list. Those are really good factors to take a, a look at from the quantitative side. But let's look at the qualitative stuff. Do we have visionary leadership that's that's current or emerging? Uh, is the company playing in a large secular theme that seems unstoppable? Do they have global opportunities rather than just domestic? Are they resonating with 
a, a variety of different demographic groups from kids to to teens to adults to older adults do they have an empowered corporate or team culture is it a culture of innovation that's even willing to be to self-disrupt itself to grow do they have strong and deep management teams do they offer a differentiated customer experience are corporate insiders do they have incentives via stock that that or or high ownership in the business Here's one that very few people take a look at, investor relations acumen. Listen, at the very basic level, if a stock is to go higher, it needs more buyers than sellers. In order to get more buyers, you need to be a good storyteller, and that process starts at the investor relations level. Very few companies do anything really significant with investor relations. It ends up being more of a blocking and tackling approach rather than actually using IR as a way to tell your story to the world and find new buyers of your stock. You know, who shows up on high brand love ratings with high customer loyalty? Obviously, all of that turns into really strong pricing power for a business. We love recurring revenue streams or subscription-based models and products and services that make people look and feel good. That keeps them loyal. Bottom line, I analyze over 40 different factors across the quant and qual spectrum that give me an important read into the current and future potential of a brand to really succeed and resonate with customers. Certainly in some ways, this is a very slow moving train, but if you have a company doing well across all of these metrics, the stock eventually will respond really well to those data points. Okay, so let's just see what the product of that process is what are the 25 stocks that we call mega brands that are resonating the most with customers across quantitative and qualitative factors? Number one, Nike, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Tesla, Apple, Netflix, Costco, PayPal, Lululemon, Walt Disney, Spotify, Facebook, MasterCard, Starbucks, Alibaba, Adobe, Visa, Estee Lauder, Ferrari, McDonald's, Nintendo, JP Morgan, surprising, Adidas, and L'Oreal. That's a pretty good group of blue chip brands in and of itself. Here's the fun part. If we were doing this analysis and the results were the results as we just did them, January 1st of 2017, up until today, just rebalancing this 25 stock portfolio at the end of every year, you would have returned 117% versus the S&P's return of 46%. Obviously, this is a back test. It's a look back. It's hypothetical. But to me, it just highlights what the product of this process could lead to if you analyze companies across a, a variety of metrics. Okay, let's switch gears and talk about the trillion dollar club. It's a pretty sexy concept. And let's face it, Amazon, Microsoft, and Apple have already reached the trillion dollar mark. Amazon has since gone under, but if two companies can do it, why can't more companies do it? And there's certain characteristics that, that made Microsoft and Apple and, and Amazon reach the trillion dollar mark. And so part of this exercise with the brand relevancy scoring system helps me identify who might be the next part of or the next basket of companies that reach the trillion dollar club. I'm sure most of you are familiar with that kind of the $90 rule. If a stock gets to $90, inevitably it tends to get to 100. It's almost like there's a magnet at the $100 mark. So I assume as companies get to that 
you know, seven or eight hundred million a billion dollar uh, market cap, they're going to gravitate towards that trillion if they're doing all the things right. So I created a dynamic return spreadsheet and looked at the 200 brands in the current index just to get a feel for, you know, using uh, uh, some analyzed return assumptions going forward. Who might be the next couple of businesses to reach the trillion dollar mark? Um, obviously, if they're not there yet and they ultimately could reach there, there's probably a decent return opportunity. So let's look at some of the assumptions. Over the very long term, stocks measured by the S&P 500 have annualized returns of about 9%. I think it's logical to assume the best companies, the most relevant companies, particularly serving an enormous global consumption market, probably have the ability to outperform the market over time. So let's use a 12% assumption versus the 9% historically for the S&P 500. So this is not impossible. And I'll give you a few examples. Netflix has annualized at 42% a year for 15 years. Monster Beverage, energy drinks, 37% a year, 15 years. Obviously, Apple and Amazon at 33% a year for 15 years. Boring old businesses like O'Reilly Automotive, auto parts, 22% a year for 15 years. Dollar Tree, 19% a year for the last 15 years. And I'll be honest with you, I can't stand going into a Dollar Tree, but I understand that it serves an important market, in fact, only in the US, and has compounded much greater than the S&P over time. So it's absolutely possible if you find the right companies that are resonating with consumers. So let's just take some assumptions using the 12% mark. Amazon will reach a trillion dollar market cap again using the 12% assumption in 1.1 years. Facebook in five years, Google in 1.5 years, Alibaba in six years. I even think they get there sooner because their addressable market is even bigger than Amazon's and they are just a dominant factor in China and Asia. Visa even in eight years. If Disney does it in uh, at 12%, it should get there in about 11 and a half years. If Disney compounds at 20% a year, given all the new business lines they have, they'll do it in seven years. Let's get crazy. Tesla, the, the stock's been pretty much dead money for three years. If they compound at just 12% a year, Tesla will be at a trillion market cap in 24 years. If they do it at 20% a year, it'll, it'll only take 15. Anything is possible. Lastly, let's just take a look at some stats from the Brands 200 Index. Of the 200 currently, 43% of these brands outperformed the S&P over the last 15 years. Over 50% of the brands have outperformed the S&P over the last 10 years. But the average performance of the companies that did outperform the market over the last 15 years did so at a 15% average annual rate. So using a 12% assumption really isn't that out of the realm of possibility. Again, witness Netflix and Monster Beverage, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, let's wrap this up. If you do not have a dedicated allocation to the global consumer spending theme, want to invest in a collection of the most relevant iconic brands, let's call them mega brands, many of which you likely spend a lot of your time and money on engaging with anyway, the dynamic brand strategy might be something to consider, and I'm happy to talk to you about it. If you're interested in chatting about how to access those strategies, you can go to globalbrandsmatter.com on the website, and you can email me. If you go to the contact page, fill out a quick uh, note, and that'll email me, and I'm happy to talk to you about it.
just a reminder, there are five really important characteristics that can lead to a company becoming a mega brand. So those are the ones that I really, really anchor to when I'm doing much of my stock picking. Number one, companies that sell high demand products with multiple category killers. You know, Apple, you have an iPhone, but now you're selling a bunch of other products, the iPad, the AirBuds, the MacBooks, etc. Number two, that have global opportunities to sell their products and services, not just in the U.S. Number three, that have broad demographic demand for these products. You want to appeal to kids, teens, newer adults, and older adults. Number four, that score very high in brand love and, you know, kind of let's call it brand evangelism uh, that keep their brand loyalty and repeat purchases coming. And then five, that score very high across many important social and corporate governance statistics because that allows the company to hire the best and the brightest and to keep them over time. Okay, everybody, that is it for episode number one of Mega Brands. Next week, we will talk about the 200 Brands Index uh, reconstitution and some of the names that we've added and deleted. It's a really fun process to go through this analysis with each one of the individual industries, identify who's really winning in the category and be able to add the most relevance and get rid of the, the companies and brands that are just losing relevancy over time. That's it, everybody. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to Mega Brands, everybody. I'm your host, Eric Clark. For more information on this podcast and to learn more about the brand relevancy scoring system we use, be sure to check out the website at globalbrandsmatter.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for the market newsletter and check out my latest thoughts on our favorite portfolio brands in the Dynamic Brands section. If you have any questions or want to learn more about the Dynamic Brands approach, send me a message on the contact tab. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Have a great day.